Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redman. Good morning, Patrick. A uh, bit of a miserable week of weather a couple of days in there, hasn't it? A bit of winter showing its face. Aries Inlet, my hometown, 116 mil of rain overnight. Yeah, that's a lot of water. It, it was <laughs> unbelievable. And I was driving to your place during the week. I passed a Spring Creek res- uh, River or Creek yeah. or Spring Creek Creek. Yeah, Spring Creek. <laughs> and uh, yep. it was actually Torquay. only overflowing onto the road to get across to Torquay. Was it, it really? was right up to the top of it, the, the, the edge there. It's, it's been un- unbelievable. But you know what it did produce? back end of the week, once all the sort of local rivers right up and down the surf coast had flooded, it took a couple of days, but then they went off when it came to the fishing because obviously freshwater floods in, stirs everything up, um, most of the creeks and rivers burst their banks. Give it a couple of days to settle down. All those nutrients that are now in the water, even though the water levels are a lot lower, really stimulates the fishing. There's been some phenomenal brim catches. There's actually been some... Um, some estuary perch as well that um, have been caught out and ran through rivers which are a bit of a rare sort of find along the surf coast but that's really stimulated the the local fishery and it's been it's been sensational it does it hasn't necessarily been great offshore ribbon with how how crazy the weather's been but, but onshore those rivers they're definitely worth targeting particularly if you want to get into brim at the moment um your dad reckons he's charged. your dad reckons he's got the the perch um, worked out in his little Pankalak River that he uh, stocked him in a few years ago. Pankalak Creek. Well, for him, that's like one of those fish that are really hard to catch. And <laughs> it's, there's something special about it. So it is, there's no doubt, it's in, it's an impressive and important catch for him. But everyone has their own sort of, you know, things that they like to fish for. What about your week in fishing? Yeah, so that, like you said, we had a couple of miserable days in there. But before those days and just after those days, we had some beautiful days. So, like I said, those Big offshore winds, uh, onshore winds, sorry, that smashed the coast, put some dirty water in close, and uh, once again, the the fishing was red hot. The snapper fished really, really well. The snapper, they say they come out of the bay and move down back to sort of towards that South Australia, and our offshore bow and heads, we've seen a lack of snapper captures over the past few months. We had that really good run early, and you can see cross-country charters who Zach and Chris Vasileski from Gone Fishing Charters both working out of Queenscliff, guests of the show, regular Patrick, and they caught some seriously good snapper over the months, few months ago. Then they had that real quiet spot on them. And Zach, drew, I think the last four or five trips, he's bagged his whole boat out and the snapper right up to six kilos. So some beautiful fish being caught offshore. How are they targeting? Like, are you heading off, are you working around tides? Are you heading dawn and dusk? What 
would you recommend so, for those that are interested in targeting snapper, even though different stages have been spasmodic at the moment, they seem to be fishing well, what, what's the best chance of giving yourself a good chance to catch it? Yeah, so I've, I've, recreational and commercial charter boats and whatnot need to fish differently. So you got to think, Zach and Chris, they might have onwards of 8 to 12 people on their boats, so they need to cater for each person to fish. So they set their boats up on a drift, and they drift their reefs and their wrecks that are offshore. So they're drifting side onto the wind, which slows them down by, down by drifting side on. Quite often, there's a little bit of wind. They'll have their big shootout, so their big um, drogue, whatever you want to call it. There's so many names for it. Sea anchor. They have it out the back, and that will slow their... Sorry, out the side, and that'll slow their drift down even that little bit more, so they hold on that bite time, bite the school of fish as such, for a bit longer. Uh, so they're fishing drifting methods with heavy sinkers. They might be using 6 to 10 ounce sinkers at times with a bit of squid, patnoster rig or extended patnoster rig. Where as a wreck angler, for me, it's a little bit different. I'm not into the so-called drifting and drifting across. They, they get a lot of those pinkies, which is nothing wrong with the pinkies. They have a great time, the charter guys and the punters on there. But I try to target that sort of four to eight kilo as in, and try and avoid the pinkies. So I'm yep. fishing off those reefs a little bit and I'm burling the bottom for the snapper in the ocean and I'm waiting for him to come to me. Because you often talk about if you just hit reef and then you burly hard, you are going to spend most of your time getting rid of rubbish matter fishing. of reef fish. Yeah, just yep. constant. And you just can't fish. You do, it just gets too hard. But drifting the reefs a little bit, when you hit the patches of snapper, and the boys prove it, they, they do really, really well. And they get a massive feed of snapper for their punters. And also, like I said, on anchor for the wreck for myself, it's a little bit different. I'll anchor up and set my trap up on the reef, and I'll wait for the fish to come to us. And we are approaching uh, we are approaching gummy shark season, as I like to call it. And what I mean by that is the gummy sharks. It's not. Do, a- do you say gummy shark season <laughs> because people have all of a sudden, the, the tuna have died off a bit, so people aren't fishing for them as much. It hasn't been snapper died a, a great month for snapper, whereas there's always gummy sharks there, and it's it's just putting the time into them. But people, as which is human nature, get bored of different sort of fish to chase, and it's back onto gummy sharks because yeah. they're a bit of a a staple around the region. Well, that is spot on. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is the fact that. They get left behind a little bit. <laughs> so you got, like you said, the snapper. You got your, so you get your big run of squid at the start of the year. Then all of a sudden the snapper come on. Then the kingfish come on. Then these tuna are on nice and hard as well. And then the swordfish are on. Then the barrel tuna come on. And they sort of get left behind at times where in winter you take away 60% of that stuff. Yeah. And all yep. of a sudden the you've, you've got a, a fishery that has been there the whole time but no one's been targeting. So you get your odd people that target them. But like I said, you get distracted with other options, which I don't know why because they're on – out of that list I said, they're in the top couple for, for myself to eat. So gummies are bloody nice to eat. So they are there and they are in good numbers. And coming into winter, we're going to start to see the seven gills move in as well as that water gets a little bit colder. Uh, so my week in fishing has been fantastic and it's been fantastic for a lot of other anglers too, Pat. Speaking of which, the swordfish at the moment, we've seen caught up and down the eastern seaboard in really big numbers. It's been a little bit harder this week given the weather, but clearly winter, when we see less um, consistent sort of heavy winds, is a, is a better time to chase swordfish. Um, the, the secrets to it, obviously, you've actually got to spend time out on the water. You can't just pack up your things and go spend a day and then that's your, that's your effort for swordfish for the, for the year. It's a it, they're like I said the ultimate fish. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. There, you need to you need to make a plan. You can't just go down there for ten minutes and try and catch one. It's 
enough fuel in your boat, it's having reliable engines, getting them serviced, and then heading out kilometres. When I say kilometres, onwards of 100 at times. What's the, the, the closest... Um, the closest place to launch and and fish for swordfish. Lake's entrance is about eighty kilometers to get you towards them, roughly. Yep. So eighty clicks offshore, eighty yep. kilometers, and that's starting. Like that's a starting point. So and you're also Eden and and the likes is probably a little bit closer as well. But there's so many different areas to target them in canyons. And like I said, I'm not an expert in this field. As in, I haven't done, I haven't gone there and chased them. It's a big effort. And like I said, this is work for me. Remember, I've spoke about this numerous times. Is mm. I've got to keep catching fish. And I haven't had much interest in them as such. I've done them a couple of times, but I haven't had a massive interest in it. Where right now, I have a massive interest in it. I'm so close to. I go away next week to Queensland with the family. That I'm going to be straight into the swords when I get back. That's for sure. But you've got to head out there and spend the time, find the feed. You got to get your baits down. It's about getting your Sinkers down as well. You got to set your. It's just not. It's not going to drop a bait over the side, Pat. It was five hundred meters. You need to exactly half a kilometer. So you got to have light leader that attaches to your brick, for instance, and then that attaches to your hook, and then that attaches to your twenty-five lights that are on your on, on your rod. Then all that has to go in smoothly and not tangle for five hundred meters down. So it's not something you just flick the bail arm over and drop and hope. It's actually you got to put time and effort into getting this right and. And some massive fish are being caught, swordfish. So when it comes to preparing for them, like obviously the weather is one thing. You're travelling so far offshore, um, that's a, a really important factor in making sure you get home safely. But as you said, you've got so many different bits and pieces that you actually are putting to the bottom of the ocean. You, you can't be fishing when there's a huge amount of drift and rip out there, obviously, yep. because there's so much movement and so much has to go right in order for you to your line with your brick and your bait and everything well, else that you're putting down there to, to go smoothly. And you've got to understand that you're in the ocean on the continental shelf, past the continental shelf. So you've got to, you got to realise there's ocean currents, not just wind. You can, you're can competing against currents and then you've got wind on top of that if there is a little bit of wind and five to ten knots out there can be a so pain on the backside. Yep. Ten knots of wind, 100 kilometres offshore. It can be, if it's coming from the other way, it can, from an onshore breeze, that can be, it's not much, don't get me wrong, it's not much, but it's, you're a long way out and you need to try and stay on the spot. You're trying to keep your baits at depth and that and that comes down to the methods that you're going to fish and I spoke to Al McGlashan a little while ago and he said, depending on the current is how his baits sit. So Al McGlashan was saying when there's no current, they tend to try and break the brick off or the weight as such, let the, the bait float up, where if the current's roaring, they need the bait to stay down rather than just float up. They need to get that bait where the bite zone is. So you can't, you've got to be allow for all these things and you've got to watch your GPS and how fast the current is. Rip Charts is another fantastic app you can buy. I think 200 bucks, 200 bucks a year, I think it is. You can buy it and that, that gives you an idea, a starting point of where the currents are going to be. So it's definitely well worth uh, putting the effort and study into this before you go and waste. When I say waste a lot of money, it's not wasting. Using that money to to learn a lot along, learn the way along the way you go. So that's the best way to uh, to to give you an example of how much it's going to cost you because you got fuel in the car, fuel in the boat. The lights aren't aren't cheap. They're lot of money the lights to do it plus you've got all your braid on your your reel you've got hundreds and hundreds of meter of braid then you've got your leader as well your hundred pound your hundred um meters of top shot as such then you've got the big these massive big hooks and then you've got to buy the bait or catch the bait which you might have done which costs fuel so it's not a cheap exercise it's not like yeah. going out on the whiting for 10 minutes so you need to but the thing is you do need to learn and spending the time is the only way that you're gonna you're gonna learn to do it so kingfish malacuda won't stop, Aaron. They're fishing incredibly well um, and fishing to well over a metre. 
uh, live baits and jigs fishing really well at the moment and the way that you would be targeting them if you were head to head out? Yeah, we're going to, sorry, I'm, I would like to have head down there a few weeks ago when they were going red hot and in saying that, they're still going red hot at the moment and if you can get some yakkers, some live squid and drop it down to them, they, I, that's how you tend to fight, tend to get your bigger your bigger fish as such. Uh, jigs are going to work, you, you might get a metre 20 fish on a jig, like there's no reason you won't, it's just more to the point that the live baits tend to get the bigger fish and just be mindful as well, in the afternoon if you've got a nice still day, they are coming up to the top. So you can actually use your surface lures like your bungee cast and whatever, whatnot, casting at these fish and land and having topwater fun on the on these kingfish. And they're pretty much all oversized, right up to, like I said, over a metre at times. So Gwaine was down there a couple of weeks ago, or not even a week ago. I think he landed 20-plus fish in a few-hour session. So it's fishing really, really well at the moment. Portland and Port Mac, the barrel fishing at the moment? Yeah, it's hit a wall over that full moon that's just gone by, and now obviously the weather that we've had. So... Uh, they're there. They are there. Would you be spending your time chasing them right now? I'm going to go with, I'm nearly a yes. I'm nearly a yes. So they haven't been fishing well. No. Off the back of the moon, the the, um, the weather's been poor. This is that's And that's the reason there why I would be going, because over that full moon period, you tend to find that they feed overnight. That's what they, that, that you speak to long liners, up the, the commercial coat. Yep. yep. And then rough weather, which means that... It's, it's stirring the ocean up everything's getting stirred up and I love fishing them after a bit of a blow and then you've also got this time of the year you, you're coming into prime barrel season June is going to be even better so I would nearly be ready to go uh, I was actually going to go last week but then I realised the moon was coming so I didn't go yep. and I'm glad I didn't because the fish didn't feed so it's well worth contemplating having a look for a barrel tuna now at Portland, Portland McDonald or even in Polo Bay but uh, the charter boats uh, made their annual run down to uh, Portland the last couple of weeks and we spoke to Chris O a few weeks ago on the show and if you do want to listen to any of our shows Make sure you download the Real Avengers app because we've got all our podcasts and whatnot on there. Plenty of recipes on there too, Patrick, if you want to cook some fish that if I, uh, that I give to you. <laughs> but uh, the annual tuna at Portland Charter Boat Run, and like you've got so many charters from Melbourne and around the state that head down there to chase. The majority of them chase the schoolfish, but the, a lot of them also do the barrel bluefin too So when they're, when they're, when they're there. So um, we actually might get Simon Rinaldi from Red Hot Charters on again in a few weeks' time and see what's actually biting there. Pat, it was a great chat with him last time, so we might get him on. But... The school tuna aren't in close at the moment. They are at Port McDonald. So they are, and that's a good sign for fish to come because our fish tend to come from that way. You can monitor them as they move down towards us, towards uh, Portland. So the fish at the moment they're catching are bloody small. They're small. They're only talking like 6 to 12 kilo at the biggest, and they are on the shelf. So they're 30-plus k's on the horseshoe, as it's called. Not many. There are a few fish in close, but majority, all the charter boats are heading out to the shelf. Chris Vasileski from Gone Fishing Charters, we spoke, I spoke to him during the week. They are at the shelf. So if you are after a school bluefin at the minute, be prepared to do some kilometres and travel to the shelf. We've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way. We're catching up with Dan Mackerel, and he's going to talk to us about the secrets of chasing brim. As we said off the top of the show, given the huge amount of water movement right around the state, uh, of Victoria at the moment. It's a really good time if you're living within the state to get out and chase these brim. After the break, we've got we've got the social club, but we're going to have a bit of a whip around the country and see what's biting right around Australia. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Before we get to the social club, we're going to have a little bit of a look around the country the Barra Nationals, Aaron, two years ago. Now, last year, 
it was postponed due to COVID-19 along with plenty else. And the year before that was one of the toughest years for fishing that they've had. This year, things have changed. It has. It's been fishing red hot. And I know a couple of locals reckon it has been... They've seen more fish caught in the last couple of days than ever before uh, in these competitions, which, which has been running for quite a period of time. With a few fish over that magic uh, magic number, Patrick, that magic metre mark, which I think is a story behind your little fish that you lost from your dad netting a barramundi the wrong way, I think. Is that soft spot I've just hit? Yeah, for those at home that... Um... <laughs> ever plan on going barra fishing, you always net the fish from behind, not from in front, because they can they can see the net coming. This was going back sort of 15 years. I still think about it to this day. <laughs> Hooked up on a barra that was pushing the metre mark. Dad tried to net it, and I swear he just belted the crap out of it. <laughs> lost it, and I didn't speak to him for a couple of days, I don't think. Yeah, I reckon you might have meant it too. Killer. Poor John Boy. But fishing really well. It's <laughs> it a, is. It's a challenging comp at times because there are so many people that fish in it, Aaron. So the key is obviously to know your spots, to do your research before the, the comp itself um, so you can try and find a place to fish where no one else is going. But it's a great opportunity um, for, for anglers to get involved in the spirit of fishing. There's a lot of um, girls and women fishing in it, which is what it's all about being inclusive as possible which is great to see as well as it is and we should try and do it next year but let's just forget footy for a couple of weeks well we could go well, actually the way you're so the way you're going at the moment if, if we get half of you on the game at the ground for next year we'll still be able to do two weeks up there coffin <laughs> coffin bay the fishing is red hot at the it moment. is and we're seeing some huge samson fish now you've traveled over there before targeting these specifically and they're in really good size at the moment. There is. There's, char- there's a couple of charter boats doing the liverboards out there, Pat, which you go out for a few days. And if I could recommend it, it's 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 one, it's got to be on your to-do list. It's yeah. amazing. I didn't do it going to charter. I was fortunate enough to go with a, a fellow that knows the area extremely well. But it's something you've got to do. Like, it's just fascinating fishing. Like, you're out wide. You've got Trevally, and I'm not exaggerating here, six, five, six kilo Trevally. You're swimming around the boat. And you're doing your best not to catch them because there's other stuff to catch, like Samson yeah. fish and big kingfish and yep. Makos. And uh, there's bluefin around myself and we had them. We had, and this was this time, this was exactly the same time a few years ago when I did it. So it's gonna, they're going to be there again now. And some of the kingfish are pushing, pushing well over the 20 plus kilo mark, which everyone goes, new, uh, goes to uh, New Zealand for these monster kings, which I know they're not 50 kilo like they catch in New Zealand, but yep. a 20 plus king is bloody and big. It's a good fish. So it's Coffin Bay, if you're looking for a little holiday, cross the border and uh, go get yourself a couple of kingfish and a couple of big Samson fish. We spoke to our mates at SA Angler and the piers and jetties right around South Australia are producing really good calamari at the moment. Now, it's, SA is known for, for great squid fishing, and if you're looking to get your kids into fishing now is the time because it's not shooting fish in a barrel, but it's pretty close. Yeah, it is. And like you, like you said, the, the piers, it's all coming down to your piers fishing, which is great to see. And uh, Well, jetties, mate. South Australia, jetties. Planks of wood. Jetties. <laughs> jetties. Is that actually really legit? Absolutely. So they're not called piers over there? No. Oh, Henley Beach jetty. Range jetty. Portlandsdale Pier. Brighton jetty. The jetty at Ocean Grove. It's just, it's just <laughs> every state does it differently. Make sure you're using your jigs correctly over there in uh, in in South Oz, same as anywhere, and uh, especially land based. Because if you're off your 
jetty, you got to make sure that you are you, you, you have it sinking. It's hard to go land-based fishing and understand currents if you haven't been there before and what jigs to have. So it's be mindful. Don't stress about the colours too much. Worry about having a range of sizes from a two right up to a three and a half. Because if you're off a, off a, off a, a jetty and you see a nice bit of weed only in a couple of metres of water, it's because you're not moving and there might not be as much current in there. You don't want to use a three and a half jig there because it will hit the bottom. And you might see a 10 squid sitting on that patch of weed. So get a size 2.0 on there, get it in there, and it'll have a slower sinking rate rather than racing to the bottom or floating. And it's going to work perfectly. Where if you push out further to the end of a jetty or a pier, when you cast out, you might have tide or current there. And it might be the same depth, two meters, but the current's running so fast that it actually takes your jig well past you on a drifting angle so you want to get your jig up in front and allow it to sink so don't necessarily worry about the colors let's worry about having the right sizes for an area before you do colors on montague island patrick in new south wales right now the kingfish are going red hot seriously red hot kingfish are turning on and they're huge numbers of kingfish and they're feeding throughout the day which throughout the day is uh that that's for them to feed, they usually they have bite times yep. where they're actually feeding throughout the day. You don't have to get up at five in the morning to so be So that's unusual for you when, uh, you when you hear the reports around this. It is. It, it's like you can have them times, but times where they'll feed all day and whatnot. But a lot of the time they will feed to sort of. Oh, here's an example. I was at Port Welsh Pool what, a few months, a couple of months back now. I think it was the end of January, and we had a great kingfish bite. Well over twenty five kings. We landed in the morning, right up to sort of that ten, eleven o'clock, and then they shut down. And they didn't yep. go for the rest of the day. The next day, they did the same thing. As quick, as many fish there, and you could still mark them up, but you couldn't catch them. They just shut down. Yep. So for them to be feeding throughout the whole day is pretty bloody cool. And also, in the afternoon, they're coming up on the saries. So saries are a bait that tends to hold the surface, and they actually jump out of the water. So a good thing with that is when the kingfish are on them, other than the fact that they quite move, they move quite fast because the saries move quite fast, if you can get in front of them, and you can get a surface bait, a surface stick bait, or a subsurface lure in front of them. Quite often, you're gonna catch catch them quite easily on the surface, rather yep. than being difficult on the surface. Spectacular way of fishing as well. Oh, it's it's as much fun as you can get. So, uh, yeah, the Montu Islands fishing well, and the fish are over a meter too. So you can get them on jigs and live bait, but yeah, and they're up over a meter some of the fish, which is yeah, which is really good signs for the coming months for Montu Island. Detroit River. Detroit River. Now, we're going to skip the country for a bit because we're going to head over to Detroit. It's a 240-year-old sturgeon, I think that's how you pronounce it, sturgeon fish it caught is. in the Detroit River, which is around 100 years old, which was ne- nearly seven foot long, and it was released, Pat. It was hey, released. Is it a 240-year-old sturgeon or is it a... 100 years old and was nearly seven feet long. Okay, I've edited it on my page, not your page that you've got in front of you, so I, I did make a spelling mistake, so we're going to do that again. The Detroit River, Aaron. Yes, the Detroit River. It had a monster fish uh, caught there during the week, a 240 kilo sturgeon, which caught in the Detroit River, as you said, likely to be around 100 years old, which was nearly seven foot long, it was just under seven foot. And the good news is it's actually been put back to grow for another hundred years because it got yeah, it got released with like after a, di- a quick like photo. a dinosaur. They, they reckon it's prehistoric. So yeah, yeah. it's uh yeah, quick photo and chucked it back, which is fascinating instead of weighing it in, but they reckon yeah, it's a big fish. <laughs> Let's get to the social club where we take your questions from social media if you've got a question for Aaron or I make sure you send it into our Real Adventures socials or better yet, download our Real Adventures 
app. First question is for you, Aaron. What size sinker do you often use when you're fishing for whiting? Uh, that's a, a a good question, but it's also a question I can't necessarily answer for you an exact answer. Uh, and what I mean by that is... You're talking about conditions. Yeah, everything comes down to where you're fishing, the conditions you're fishing. But the key is the whiting feed. So you look at a whiting bat and the shape that its head sits at. It sits with its head, with its mouth. Its mouth favours its under jaw rather than 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 straight on. Yep. So it's burrowing underneath the surface. Yes, or, you know, in, in the pushing sand. into the sand. So basically, what you need to do is put your bait in that vicinity so it can drive that bait into the sand to feed, so you can get your hooker. So what I'm trying to say is, you need to hold bottom. There's no point in having your jig. Uh, sorry, your bait up off the bottom. So you need your sinker to hold. And how you do that is when you cast out, especially if you're fishing tidal areas, don't just cast your rod out and let it go and then just let the line come off the bail arm because that's just not going to work because it'll keep coming out. Your line will keep coming out because your tide's actually going to keep pulling the line and naturally will put a big bow on your line and keep pulling that line out. So when you cast out, as it hits the water, just tether the line, tap the line with your hand on your spool or even just on your rod tip a little bit until it hits the bottom. You'll feel it hit the bottom, flick your bail arm over, and then all I want you to do is lift your rod towards basically 12 o'clock, straight up in the air, and then drop it back down. And before you hit, before you get back to your strike spot where you sit your rod getting ready for a fish, you should feel the sinker hit the bottom and it will take the weight off your line for that period of time. So... As you as you bring it down from twelve o'clock, yep. Are you keeping tension in the line the whole time? Yep, until I until I until so I feel it hit. You can really feel it. So that's an important point versus just lifting up and then just waiting and dropping it straight yep. down. You've got to feel the line. Control you, the drop. Yep, control yep. the drop down with the weight of the rod, and as it hits, you'll feel it hit, and that should hit just before your strike zone, where you're going to stand there and have your rod ready to strike. And like I said before, the, with your sinker sizes, it's it varies completely. Varies. If you're at Clifton Springs or in a non-tidal area, I'd just be using not even a one ounce. Where if you're at Queenscliff fishing in a strong tide, I might be. Well, the other day I was using a four ounce. Where at St Leonard's I was using a two ounce because we had big tides. So you just need to. I like to be slightly heavier than lighter because I reckon when that sinker hits the ground, it makes it a bass yabby. When it, you go, or not a bass, if you go diving for instance, and you see a worm, which I see all the time when diving for scallops and whatnot, you see a worm, you might see it on the surface, and you go over to it, then all of a sudden, and just big puff of sand comes out. And I believe by moving that sinker onto the bottom will create so many bites, it's crazy. So if you're standing there with your rod, just lift it up every 15 seconds, just let the sinker hit that sand, and that's why I say use a slightly bigger sinker than you need because you get to really puff up that sand when it hits the ground, and when that does that, it obviously has to cause stuff to come see what's going on, then all of a sudden your bit of squid's hanging off the back of that area where it is, and then you get the bite. So it definitely works to get a hook up. Next question is from Levi. Hi, fellas. I'm thinking of targeting Mulloway in Nelson this season coming, or I'm assuming at the moment. Uh, any tips you can help me out with fishing for Mulloway in Nelson? Cheers, boys. Beautiful spot. One of the great places to go and visit. And isn't all that – it's popular, but in a way it's almost – it's. There's, it's so many wonder, there's so many wonderful places around Australia. It sort of gets forgotten at times. It's a phenomenal fishery. Yeah, it's one of the... And we're going to have Dan Mackerel on after the break. I think it's straight after this break, if I'm correct. And Dan's going to join us. He actually had a brim tournament in Nelson. So we're going to ask him a couple of quick... We'll know exactly what's going on there in a few minutes. So stay tuned after the break. But the Mulloway season is pretty much kicking off in in the Nelson as we speak. So uh, it's about to get red hot. So there's a few fish being caught. And it's going to get better and better as the colder months come. Uh, fresh bait. Bring some fresh squid up if you don't have any. 
even in the rivers, catch your live little uh, your live little salmon and your mullet and whatnot. They're going to work well. Even if you go out offshore, for instance, chasing a tuna that day at Portland, if you can catch a few slimy mackerel and have slimy mackerel fillets, strip baits, and you basically run. I like to run them as a bait, as a I get, I'll call it the Western Port rig, a running rig, and getting a sinker as light as possible for the the current that's actually working through the river. So that there, get your baits on the bottom once again and. Set a nice spread like you're fishing the snapper in Western Port, and you're going to find yourself catching uh, some, well, potentially, meter, well over a metre-plus mulloway. Good on you, Levi. You've won yourself a real brand fishing top and hat. We're giving away one every week for the next couple of months. The best question every week in the social club wins it. You've won it this week, Levi. Send us a direct message, and we'll have it sent straight out to you. Plenty more coming up after the break. Dan Mackerel joins us to chat through the, che- uh, the secrets of chasing monster brim. All aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. It's time for All Aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Dometic. Mobile living made easy. Our special guest on Real Adventures this morning is Frogley's offshore pro angler, Dan Mackerel. Good morning, Dan. Welcome to Real Adventures. Morning, boys. How's things today? Going yeah, not too bad, Dan. And I know last week, uh, like you said, you're with the Frogleys Offshore, and competitions got postponed uh, because of COVID over the well, over the last twelve months, as such. And uh, you're back into tournaments now, and you had one at Nelson during or oh, during last weekend. How'd you go? Yeah, no, it was good to get back into it, especially having two young kids now. Sort of fishing time's been limited, so <laughs> it was nice to get away for for four days over there. How old are they, Dan? Um, before we get into the tournament. I've got one just turned three, and the other one's near 12 weeks. So, yeah. Well, 12 weeks are a little bit away, but yep. but three. I reckon once you get to three, you can start to get the kids out on the boat, and they start to enjoy yeah. a bit more. That's been my experience Absolutely. with George. No, that's good. He's, he's certainly adapt to wearing the life jacket now, so the next step will be actually getting on the water and doing that. So, we'll so be forward to it. Extra 20 widening, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Take us through the tournament, Dan. Uh, how did you go, and uh, what goes into actually getting prepared for a tournament? Yeah, no, it's just so. I suppose these comps away, you get the day before. So the Friday you get over there is actually a pre-fish day. So you go over and sort of have a look around the system and try and work out or we'll put a bit of a plan together on what you're going to do for the coming two tournament days. So given that the Galau River's about 50 kilometres long, there's a lot of water to cover. So um, Betsy and myself sort of covered the top end for the first half of the morning and then the bottom end for the rest of the day. So for that, for us, it was quite good. We caught a lot of estuary perch in the morning up top and a few brims. So that sort of worked out. We don't need to spend too much time up there and then. Um, with the incoming tides in the afternoon, it was it was pretty good fishing down the bottom. So that was enough for us to say, right, we don't have to do too much travelling. We're just going to spend our time down there and sort of chip away. It's always a busy little place. The estuary on the comp days, we had it's quite a small area and after that 20 boats in the one area, it sort of makes it a little bit lean pickings. But if you put the time and effort in, the results can come. So What what size of the brim that you're targeting to do with the competition? Like, is it how do you win? Is it over most fish you catch in the day, or is it kilo on weight kilos over a, peer, a number of fish you're allowed to have in the live bait tank? How does it work? Yeah, so it works on so it's just an upgrade system. So you weigh your best five fish each day, and then the length is just dependent on what the legal size. And I think legal size for the brim is a twenty nine centimeter model, and I think we sort of weighed three point seven kilo on the first day and three point three five on the second, which put us in fifth place. So it's a serviceable result. And when we're talking those bigger fish, Dan, brim are one of those fascinating fish for for those that don't understand sort of growth rates. You'll catch a 35, 40 centimetre brim that could well be 
uh, far older than a sailfish you catch that's, you know, seven and a half, eight foot long. That's what amazed yep. me once I sort of started to learn a bit more about these fish. That you can get really old fish. And one of the great things about um, the tournaments, what they really promote, is the sustainability of fishing. You put them in the live bait tank, you weigh them, you bring them in, and then they're then they're released at the end of it. So the sustainability of it is is really strong, and it's something that's really heavily promoted. Yeah, absolutely spot on there. They are certainly a slow growing fish, an aging fish. So look, a fish that might be yeah, you're right, thirty eight, forty centimeters long could be the same same age, so thirty eight to forty years old. So they are they sort of fly along to about the twenty twenty five centimeter range, and then. They grow very, very slowly after that. When you approach a tournament, how do you go with uh, using, I guess, the, the tackle? What, 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 what do you go there with? Plastics, or do you go there with vibes? Do you have a range of things, or does, does the pre-fish determine that? Yeah, you'd probably be mind blown. I think if you saw how much we actually take to a <laughs> to a brim comp, most people laugh when you've got five or six different rods rigged up on the front of your deck, and that's that's per person. So you can obviously use one at one time, but. Um, Again, because you're sort of junk fish the areas, you might be fishing shallow at one stage, you might be moving deeper. Um, obviously, tidal influences will change the different presentations you're running. So to have as many things or bases covered and organised sort of saves time on the day. So the more time spent fishing and less time rigging, um, this is just one of those little 1%ers that can sort of put results in your favour. A common bycatch in uh, the Nelson or the Glenelg River is obviously Mulloway. Was there many Mulloway caught? And if so, how do you target Mulloway uh, with casting techniques? Yeah, there was actually, again, Glenelg's obviously not so a very high population of Mulloway, and this, week, this weekend was no exception. Um, again, a lot of the guys reported um, either hooking and losing or landing caught a few fish. So uh, I think just the, given the fact like elephants do eat peanuts, a lot of the people are fishing sort of small little presentations for brim and doing it for years and years, you'll sort of um, mull away up that much of an internet, internet will capture. They're pretty easy to find on your sounder, um, especially in the canal. There's certainly a few hot spots that they sort of congregate and can hold in. It's just a matter of being there when the switch fires for them to, to start chewing, and then it's actually a bit of a pain when you come across those in the brim comp because they can take up a bit of your time chasing those guys around. <laughs> Dan, on your Facebook, you've got a great um, chat for, with Greg from, from Doc Lures, and you talk about chasing Mulloway uh, on the Glenelg River. It's a, it's a fascinating listen if you're interested uh, in getting into lure fishing. Is it something that you've really got to put time into because it's the techniques of how quickly you, you cast and retrieve um, your patience to fish in one particular area and then once again it's actually knowing the area that you're fishing so you're targeting the fish yep. in the right spots. Yeah. Yeah, and you're absolutely spot on. I suppose that's the best part of all the best piece of advice we sort of give to newcomers. Like they come along and you'll sort of see that they're fishing and moving things fairly quick. And I think I sort of, we sort of mentioned that if you think you're fishing slow, go even slower. Um, a lot of these fish, they, look, they are predatory fish, but they don't really spend too much of their time sprinting around like the old salmon or the, like the sailfish you mentioned, those sort of things. They sort of, they'll take things that are in their path, but they won't go too far to chase them. So if you can slow that presentation down, put it in their face for long enough, um, you'll sort of aggregate them enough to. Dan, we really appreciate your time on Real Adventures this morning, talking through fishing for brim uh, as well. Dan Mackerel, our Frogley's Offshore Pro Angler, thanks for your time this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Cheers, guys. Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call and ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you.
time for Red's review, Redmond, because on the back of an 80-year-old man who found a tiger snake that was roughly one metre in length in his small tinny. Now, at the time, he was 11 kilometres from land. He was on anchor. Uh, as he went to retrieve the anchor, all of a sudden spots the tiger snake. It got us thinking, as much as it is important for uh, capture rates and organising yourself on deck, that you need more than one net. You need two types of nets. <laughs> you also need some sort of um, implement in order to remove snakes because I hate Snakes. He, had, he had to call the snake catcher. <laughs> and then it hit Where are you, the... mate? Yeah, I'm about, um, <laughs> I'm about eight, eight nautical miles. <laughs> like, yeah, sorry, son, we're not going to be able to get out there. <laughs> and he's 80. The poor fella's 80. He had, he, to drive, had, he had to drive back with the tiger snake that he, he threw his jumper over it and it got scared and hid down the bottom of the boat. He drove in, but then they couldn't get it out because it was under the hull. So then they were going to try and flush it out with water to make it come out. But then all of a sudden, just before he left the boat ramp, it showed its head out again, and the snake catcher got it. That, that, that and the, that can be a bit of a deal sometimes. When we used to have snakes in the backyard, generally kings or browns, he used to go and chase them with a with a net. Mate, your dad, I went fishing with up at up the Otways here, and I'm like. Well, oh, there's a tiger a... snake there. He's like, yeah, that's all right, mate. And just like walks past it like it's his mate, like it's his dog. He thinks he's a snake wrangler. I was so scared. And this massive tiger snake was right where I was standing. I'm like, oh, I've got to walk. And I'm not really scared of him, but like, this is massive. And your dad, yep, that's Barry. <laughs> Red, we've gone a little off track. Two types of net. Why is it important? Yeah, Red's review this week is two types of nets because uh, there is so many different things that you need on boats. And the list just goes on and on and on. And, on. <laughs> and uh a nets is, I believe, a net is going to land you and catch you so many more fish for if you don't have one. But like I said, two makes of sense, though, because lifting a fish over the boat, side of the, the boat. fish is weight, obviously. Now here's an example: whiting fishing, Patrick. We love to catch blue spot flooded. It's a fantastic eating fish. They do pull pretty well when you get a bycatch for whiting, or even if you're targeting them, or even if you're down at Malacuta and you're landing yourself a meter flathead. Now you don't want to pull out an extra large net. And now what I mean by that is you don't. I'm going to talk a bit about it, but you don't want to pull out a gummy net as such, which yep. we're going to talk about. You want to pull out, it's basically, they call them a simple kayak net, and you want to get it in the large size. And basically, it's a rubber netting that goes around the bottom of the net. You can just dip in the water and lift your flathead up. Pretty simple. Same as squid. I don't net squid. They're, they're great as well for, for lure fishing because you're not having to get things tangled up. And light leaders as well. Yep. You're not going to pop them when you're trying to lift things up. And like I said, whiting fishing, we're using 10 or 12 pound line and you've got a nice half a kilo to a kilo flathead. You don't want to be lifting that with your leader because it will pop and fall off. So getting yourself a little landing net in your boat is crucial to have down the side for squid, big flatties, even just big anything that's not made for your leader length as such. Yeah. Big salmon, if you get a salmon as a bycatch on 10-pound leader when you're whiting fishing, again, you can lift it up rather than you can get your bait for your gummy trip next session without losing it. And you can roughly get them for around $50 to $70 from Anaconda or basically any good tackle store, you'll find them. Now, it's into your hook'em. Hook'em's a fantastic range. Nearly everyone has hook'em nets these days. Uh, hook'em extra large net, um, with ha which has an interchangeable handle. So what I mean by that is you can actually, instead of buying a gaff as such and you're going to pay for the handle, yep. you can actually just buy the end end piece of the gaff or the net, vice versa, and you can swap screw them over. Screw it in. You yep. can screw it in. Really handy. So that's why it saves you a few dollars. It's on the pricier side. You're looking just upwards over $150 for this net or gaff. Uh, the reason I say that, interchangeable. It saves, does save you a dollar in the long run. But these Hook'em Extra Large Nets will land you so many more fish, gummy sharks, school sharks. And once again, I meant to say this before as well, you don't want to bring this hook and big net out for snapper. You don't. 
Snapper, when they come up to the top of the water, you're not trying to scoop in a big gummy shark that's possibly six foot long. You want to net, with that little kayak net, the large kayak net that I spoke about, a six kilo snapper or a seven kilo snapper will quite often fit in one of those large nets quite easy. And because of the rubber, the hooks don't get stuck in it either. So you can lift your snapper over with those kayak nets as well. But you don't want to get a big net, which a hooker net, and dip it in and all of a sudden the snapper's sitting a meter in this deep net and you've got to dig in there and your sinker's wrapped around the side of the one of the holes out the other hole and the hook's stuck in it. So that's why I have two nets for convenience and also to catch you more fish. Uh, budget, what are we spending on each net roughly, rough cost? Yeah, between 50 and 70 bucks for that first one, the kayak net, which is the landing net I like to call. It's a, like When I say landing net, it lands, obviously the other one is too, but this is a landing net. It sort of sits in the side of your gunnels or on your kayak. You can grab it if you get a snapper, a squid or whatever it is, where your deep net, which is for your gummies, your school sharks, even your big tuna, your not 30 kilo bluefin tuna, which I get offshore, well, plenty of them offshore this year where you want them to release them, they work really well. So you want to, with the gummies when they come up with that big deep net, you want to scoop them up and get them right over the anal fin and then lift up and then grab the tail and then lift them in. They don't break, they're interchangeable with the gaff and you're looking at over 150 bucks, we're 150 to 170 uh, with, like I said, the interchangeable handle. Beautiful work, that is... Red's Review. That was Red's Review for Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski? Get a quote from Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. We're in the final quarter now at Redmond. It's time for its tip. It is, and we're coming into winter. It's about to get bloody cold if it's not already on it's some cold, days. <laughs> She's cold now. I've spoken about uh, life jackets and the uh, the waist ones that I've been wearing, the bum belt ones that go around, which is, they've been convenient for me. So I've done a little bit of fishing by myself as of late. And also, also see Lord, ET wearing them as well. In, uh, oh, is he? In ET yep. show, yep, uses them all the time. Well, when you're fishing by yourself as well, you need to have them. And also launching the boat. I think I did this as a tip a few weeks ago. Uh, you need to save yourself some money by not getting a fine. So they're convenient to put on the belts. They are. But as we're coming into winter, something that's well worth purchasing is a, li- a life jacket jacket. Because... They do two things in one. Everyone wears a jacket when you go barrel fishing, bluefin tuna, or even if you head offshore and you're sitting around for a gummy all day in the cold weather in the morning, you want a jacket on. So instead of going out and buying a jacket to wear on the boat, just a random jacket, buy an Axis Life jacket. They're around $300. They are bloody good. They are warm. Are you can spend that on a jacket anyway. You, like a, a good a jacket. Normal jacket. Exactly. Yeah. So you may as well, it's, it's, it's pretty much 100% waterproof. It's close to 100% waterproof. They've got a hoodie that on the back of it. And not only that, They've got the life jacket built in to the chest piece here. So what I mean by that is the little canister sits on your left pack there. And they are really, really warm. So the bum bag is good for summer and whatnot. But for winter, when you've got your whiting slapping you in the kidneys when you're trying to take it off, your access jacket, seriously. And the reason I say access is because there's a few others out there that aren't up to standard in my standard. These things last. I've, if, I've, if mine's lasted two seasons, then it'll last you 20 seasons because I don't really look after it. It's got whiting <laughs> juice all over it and probably stinks, but that's all right. But it's, uh, yeah, there's Red's tip is get yourself a really good jacket this winter and more, may as well make sure it's a life jacket one too. The floating, the flying, oh. floating gaff. Well, the, the gaff this week is floating. It's floating just out on the outskirts of, uh, of WA, but be careful if you're in breach of WA's COVID lockdown uh, mechanisms, which... 
when I was seen over the last few weeks at different stages. I hope what, they're enjoying it too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry we're dubbed. Oh, just, well, we went through it. They I can cop a little bit of it too. I don't, we love Just because you were in Gold Coast the whole time and missed out on it all. Police are sending <laughs> out drones to catch people that are doing the wrong thing. So not only net, like, you're not looking for choppers in the sky. You're not looking for water police on little jet drones. skis. You're looking for drones. My auntie listens to the show and she lives in WA, so she's got a She's going to grill me, I think. So she should. <laughs> Thanks for your company this morning on Real Adventures. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's time to go fishing. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.